0: Welcome to Inspiration from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about Helen Keller. Helen Adams Keller was born in Tuscumbia, Alabama, to Kate Adams Keller, who came from a well-to-do family, and Captain Arthur H. Keller. He was a Civil War veteran who became a newspaper editor, then a U.S. Marshal. At the age of 19 months, Helen suffered an illness, possibly scarlet fever, that left her blind, deaf, and mute. The little girl became unmanageable, clawing and kicking at people, engaging in appalling displays of temper. Still, she could communicate by using more than 60 signals for people and things, She pretended, for example, to put on glasses when referring to her father, and swept up her hair for her mother. Shivering meant she wanted ice cream. When Helen was six, her father contacted the inventor Alexander Graham Bell, whose son-in-law, Michael Anagnos, ran the Perkins Institution for the Blind in Boston. Captain Keller hoped Bell could recommend a teacher for Helen. Anagnos became deeply interested in Helen's case. He sent Annie Sullivan, a 20-year-old teacher at Perkins, to Alabama. Helen called the day Miss Sullivan arrived, March 3, 1887, her soul's birthday. Annie spent the rest of her life, nearly 50 years, with Helen. Teacher, as Helen referred to her, showed the girl how to feel objects and connect them with words that Annie spelled on Helen's palm. The six-year-old also learned to read sentences by touching raised words on cardboard. In addition, Helen started making sentences with a grooved writing board. She would put paper over it, then used her forefinger to guide a pencil point along the grooves so the letters came out neatly next to each other. For the next few years, Helen spent her winters at Perkins learning the system of Braille. Afterwards, Sarah Fuller of the Horace Mann School for the Deaf, also in Boston, began teaching Helen how to talk by feeling the position of the tongue and lips, making sounds and imitating the lip and tongue motions. Helen began lip reading by putting her fingers on the speaker's lips and throat while the words were spelled out for her. She continued her education at the Wright Humison School for the Deaf in New York when she was 14 then at the Cambridge School for Young Ladies in Massachusetts. Annie Sullivan was her constant companion, and they often had opportunities to meet famous people who had become interested in Helen's miraculous transformation. Among them was Mark Twain, who once wrote Helen, You are a wonderful creature, the most wonderful in the world. You and your other half together, Miss Sullivan, I mean, for it took the pair of you to make a complete and perfect whole. When Helen and Annie were first paired, Michael Anagnos had instructed Miss Sullivan to let Helen's religious ideas develop from within instead of her taking them from without. He felt that she had a natural bent toward religion, and wanted to find out whether Helen was innately religious. He asked what shape might her beliefs take when freed of established creeds. Annie agreed to this. When Helen was nine, however, one of her aunts tried to teach her the catechism. The child became very curious about God, and since Anagnos was way, Annie Sullivan decided to take Helen to Boston's Trinity Church. Pastor Phillips Brooks, who authored the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, eagerly took Helen under his wing. Anagnos was not pleased, but Miss Sullivan declared that she was just as responsible for Helen's religious upbringing as he was, and that Bishop Brooks was good for Helen. He had a powerful impact on the girl, so much so that she persuaded her parents to name their new baby after him. As an adult, Helen remembered how he had sat her on his knees and told her very simply the wonderful story of Jesus Christ. And my eyes, she said, filled with tears, and my heart beat with love for the gentle Nazarene who restored sight to the blind and speech to the mute, who healed the sick, fed the hungry, and turned sorrow into joy. Brooks helped her understand the central truth that God is love, and that His love is the light of all men. Helen was at peace with her condition. She said, I thank God for my handicaps, for through them I have found myself, my work, and my God. In spite of Helen Keller's physical disadvantages, as a teenager, she still struggled with the same growing up issues as others her age. The search for independence and personal identity, the conflict between choosing the best in life over the expedient, or base and arguments with her guardian. Whatever restlessness and struggles challenged the teenage Helen Keller, however, she developed into a brilliant scholar and entered Radcliffe College. Annie Sullivan went with her, dutifully spelling lectures and textbooks into the students' hands. Besides her demanding studies, Helen wrote a story about herself in 1891 for the Ladies' Home Journal. The piece was so well-received, Helen wrote an autobiography, The Story of My Life, while she was still a student at Radcliffe, making her wealthy and famous, her reputation stretching across the globe. Keller was internationally perceived as an extraordinary example of the ability of humans to triumph over difficulties. She graduated from Radcliffe with honors in 1904. The following year, Annie married publisher John Macy, and Helen went to live with them. With school behind her, she wrote and lectured for a living, becoming a regular contributor to The Century, McClure's, and The Atlantic Monthly, as well as the author of a dozen more books besides her autobiography, She traveled widely for the American Foundation for the Blind and campaigned for various social causes. In 1918, a new motion picture called Deliverance portrayed Helen's struggle to overcome her handicaps. The film was not a success. To earn more money, Helen and Annie developed a vaudeville routine acting out the incredible story of their meeting and how Annie helped Helen escape her darkness. In 1924, Keller became the American Foundation for the Blind's major advisor. She lobbied Congress for laws favorable to the blind, including the successful Pratt Bill, which established and funded reading services for the visually challenged. Her efforts also helped end the widespread and often senseless institutionalization of the handicapped. She established commissions for the blind in 30 states as well. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, himself handicapped by polio, greatly admired her. He once said, Anything Helen Keller is for, I am for. Annie Sullivan's sight had never been particularly strong and in the 1930s, she actually lost one eye. Since she could no longer help Helen with reading, Secretary Polly Thompson took on that responsibility. Annie did travel with them, however, including a trip to Europe where they met the King and Queen of England as well as other European royalty. Following unsuccessful surgery on her remaining eye, Sullivan weakened considerably and died in 1936. Helen's heart was heartbroken, but not her dauntless spirit. When World War II broke out in 1939, Helen abandoned her earlier pacifism, seeing the evils of Adolf Hitler and the tragedy of Pearl Harbor. She said that only war could stop the carnage. That and faith, which she believed, is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. She eagerly visited many soldiers who had been blinded in combat, providing tremendous encouragement for them. She told the public, they do not want to be treated as heroes. They want to be able to live naturally and to be treated as human beings. These visits were, she said, the crowning experience of my life. Following the war, Helen Keller traveled throughout the world, visiting South Africa, the Middle East, Latin America, India, and Japan. The Unconquered, a movie about her life, was released in 1953 and won an Academy Award. Two years later, she became the first woman to receive an honorary degree from Harvard. An even more successful play-turned-movie about her life, The Miracle Worker, was a tremendous hit in the late 1950s. By 1960 and Helen's 80th birthday, her health began to fail. Even so, she made the remarkable announcement I will always, as long as I have breath, work for the handicapped." In 1963, John F. Kennedy conferred upon her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Suffering from a series of strokes, Helen made fewer and fewer appearances as she became unable to communicate or to think clearly. In 1968, she died at her home in Westport, Connecticut. Thank you for joining me for Inspiration from American History. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.